The scripture reading today is the fifth chapter of the Epistle to the Galatians. The sermon text will be in 1 Peter 4, but the scripture reading is Galatians chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
Now please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6 for the sermon text. 1 Peter chapter 4. And verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us, let us pray now for his uh, blessing upon its preaching. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. It is your very word, O Lord, and it is holy. We ask now that you would bless its preaching. Bless the one who preaches and those who hear. And we pray this, O Lord, for your glory and for our own good. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Looking at this text, brothers and sisters, let's first take note of the word therefore in the first clause. This word shows us that what Peter is about to assert is based on what he just said in the previous text. So because of what Peter writes in verses 18 through 22 of the last chapter, he can assert what follows in our text today. Today's text is therefore tied to the last two sermon texts that we've gone through together in 1 Peter. And we'll see the importance of this fact as we proceed. Now let's look at this first clause here of our text. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Do you see how in this clause... And also one time in this verse, Peter says, suffered. Now how, we t now how we take him, how we take his meaning, as he uses this word, will dictate how we are to interpret the entirety of today's text. If we understand Peter to mean literal suffering here, the whole passage then has to do with our suffering and how to handle it. And that's not a bad interpretation of Peter's meaning. After all, there is persecution taking place in today's text, and also in 1 Peter as a whole. But there is another option, and in my view, a better one. 
I believe that the context and the grammar and the syntax in and around today's text suggests that Peter is referring to dying when he says suffering. Let's look in the previous chapter. Look at chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. In going into the previous verses like this to find out what he means in our text, we are, after, we are only following Peter's instructions. Peter gave us the instructions to look in the previous text to understand the current text when he used that little word, therefore. Now, one commentator I read, he maintains that verse 18 of the previous chapter, even more than verses 19 to 22 of the previous chapter, are, is critical for the correct interpretation of today's text, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I agree, although I believe that the rest of chapter 3 is also important for us today. But we need to camp out here in verse 18 for a bit if we are going to figure out what Peter's meaning is in today's text. First, we can see that when Peter says that Jesus suffered, he clearly means that Jesus died. That's the kind of death that he's referring to, suffering death. And that's how we're going to understand Peter when he uses the word suffered in 4, verse 1 as well. In doing so, we're going to take a different tack on today's text altogether than one would see it, the one who would see it as modeling for us a willingness to suffer persecution and condemnation from fellow humans and modeling it upon Christ's willingness to suffer persecution. No, instead, we're going to see that Peter is, in fact, lifting back, lifting back a veil from an epic contest between two worlds, a vying for supremacy between two ages. And in approaching the text in this way, there will be application toward the issue of bearing up under suffering at the hands of the Gentiles. But I believe that we will get there in the manner that Peter wants us to. So bear with me now as we open up chapter 3, verse 18, so as to begin well in today's text. Now here in 3, verse 18, we are told that Christ suffered once for sins by being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit. Remember that suffer here means die. And we must understand that the word spirit is meant to refer to the Holy Spirit. And we'll see the significance of that last fact in a moment. But what does the scripture mean when it says that Jesus was put to death in the flesh? Well, to understand that, we must consider the different ways the Bible uses the term flesh. First, the word flesh in the Bible sometimes just refers to the physical body. Such as in verse 21, where the Greek word for flesh is translated simply as body. Second, in the Bible, the word flesh can be used as shorthand for humanity. Like when Paul says in Romans 3.20, that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. When he says that, he means no human being will ever be justified in God's sight by obedience to the law. Third, sometimes the, the term flesh means 
an individual's sinful nature, such as Galatians 5.24, where we are told that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But there is another way that the term flesh is used in the New Testament too. And this is what Peter is actually driving at here in verse 18 of chapter 3 and in verse 1 of chapter 4 of our text today. This other use of the term flesh is meant to, re to refer to an entire mode or sphere of existence. Flesh, in this sense, refers to the fallen, sinful order of things that have prevailed since the fall. The New Testament often compares and contrasts the two spheres of the spirit and of the flesh. So the flesh is apostolic shorthand many times in the Bible for this present evil age, this order of affairs that has existed since the fall of man, with its opposition to the ways of God and its own sinful manner of existence and rules and expectations for behavior. When Jesus was put to death in the flesh, he left behind forever all connections to and interactions with this present evil age. And when he was raised from the dead, he was raised with a new body, a body fit for the age to come, an age to come dominated by the power and activity of the Holy Spirit. Each age is now, since Christ's resurrection in the Spirit, running concurrently. Each age, the age of the Spirit, the age of the flesh, each age has its own principles. And each age also has its own Adam. Now this concurrence that I spoke of, of the present evil age that has prevailed since the fall of Adam, and the age to come, may be called the overlap of the ages. So picture uh, a line, a horizontal line, representing human history since the fall of Adam. And think of that as the present evil age, human history since the fall. Now sometimes the apostles refer to this age as simply the flesh. And on that line went until one day our Lord came and performed his work. He was crucified, died, and was buried. But when he rose from the grave some 2,000 years ago, his resurrection initiated the first stages of the age to come. So picture that age in your mind as another horizontal line running above the line of the present evil age. Both lines, both ages, now run concurrently. And they will do so until the last day. The end of the age. When Jesus Christ returns. And when the present evil age will end. And the upper line, the age to come, will continue on into eternity. So now, you and I, because we live between the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, we live in an overlap of these two ages. We inhabit both this present evil age and we inhabit the age to come. That age which was inaugurated in Christ's resurrection. 
Christ, by his bodily resurrection, left this age behind. Again, called the flesh in shorthand. And he only inhabits, personally, the age to come. But we, we still inhabit the present evil age and by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us and united us to Christ and raised us together with Christ, we also, at the same time, inhabit the age to come. Our inner man, you could think of it as our inner man, dwells in the heavenly sphere in the age to come. But our outer man still inhabits this present evil age, again referred to as the flesh. So Peter, in verse 18 of chapter 3, he's saying that when Christ was put to death, he was put to death forever to one age and made alive by the Spirit in and for the other age. Now let's return to chapter 4 and verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. How can Christ's dying in the flesh, and how can his dying to this present evil age, help us to arm ourselves with the same mindset, so as to endure all the trials and temptations of this present evil age. Peter reveals the answer to that in the next clause. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter is saying here, understand that if you are in Christ by faith, you too have died to the flesh because of your union with him. And if you have died in the flesh too, arm yourselves with this truth. You too has, have ceased from sin. That is the reigning principle of sin that governs this present evil age, that dominates it. Now, None of us in our own personal experience as Christians can claim to have utterly ceased from any and all sin. So what does Peter mean by that? He means that since you are in Christ, you, like he, have died to this present evil age and its defining principle, sin. Your inner man has been raised with him by your being united to him by faith in his resurrection. This union with his death to this present evil age, as we saw last time, is signified by your baptism. So Peter wants you to understand that since your inner man has been raised with him, your outer man must not walk according to the pattern of this present evil age. It must not walk in sin. And that knowledge must help you to arm yourselves, to gird up your loins for the many temptations and persecutions you will face as those who remain bodily in this present evil age, as it were behind the enemy lines in enemy territory. You too have died to this present evil age, even though your outer man still inhabits it. 
Let's turn back together to the opening of this letter. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through his resurrection, we who are in him, who are united to him by faith, we have been born again. You see, our possession of the Holy Spirit is what the Bible calls being given a down payment of God himself. A down payment given to us against a future inheritance of the whole. Being given this earnest money, as it were, this first installment of the Holy Spirit, we can know we shall possess him fully later, as much as humanity can. Our rebirth by the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of receiving all of him later, as Christ has in his own bodily resurrection. We have come to experience the first resurrection in our inner man, but our bodies are not yet transformed by the Holy Spirit, are they? So we remain in this present evil age, and so the apostles need to admonish us in this fashion. For this present evil age and its inhabitants keep trying to conform us back to their image, to go along, to mimic with our outer man their mindset, their values, and practices. Sin is the main characteristic of this age. We who have died to the present evil age in Christ must not mimic the age. And that's the summary of what Peter means in verse 1. So in verse 2, we are told that for the rest of our time inhabiting this present evil age, we are to live not according to men and their ways and words and works of mere men who inhabit this age only, but we are to live instead by the will of God. Let's move on and discuss verses 2 through 5. You could think of this section as a tale of two ages. This vying between the two ages, the age of the flesh and the age of the Holy Spirit, now begins to get rolling in the following verses. A clear antithesis emerges in these verses between two ages, two principles of life. The pattern of this age is laid out in some detail in verses 3 and 4. This is a list of sins that is meant to be characteristic of this age. It's not meant to be a list of specific vices that each and every single Gentile practices. Re recall our, our reading in Genesis, uh, Galatians 5, excuse me, this morning as our scripture reading, where we observed two different patterns of existence between the age of the flesh and the age of the Holy Spirit. We are therefore told elsewhere not to be conformed to the image of this world. And that is because this present evil age is antithetical to the age to come. So the flesh is characterized in Scripture as striving against the Spirit, even as it is passing away. 
This present evil age knows its time is short. Now a couple of, couple of further words on verses 2 through 5. Note that the apostle Peter refers to the children of this age who show forth such works of the flesh and not the fruit of the spirit. He calls them Gentiles. The time has come and gone when God looks at the race in terms, the human race in terms of ethnicity. By God's previous manner of administration in the Old Testament, the human race was divided into Jew and Gentile. And this was at that time largely in ethnic terms. Since the coming of Christ and his resurrection from the dead, there are now only two kinds of people Again, but those two definitions have been changed. Those two kinds of people are the inhabitants of this present evil age and those who are raised with Christ and by the Spirit to live in the age to come. Now the true Israelite is the one who is united to Jesus Christ by faith. And according to the New Testament, everyone else is a Gentile. To close this section, we should note something about this phrase, the living and the dead, in verse 5. This expression, the living and the dead, is simply a term meant to refer to everyone. Everyone. In other words, the coming judgment described is universal. No one will escape the judgment to come. And now let's consider the final verse, verse 6. I've entitled this one, this section, The Living and the Walking Dead. Now, today's sermon is a little offbeat. It has an offbeat title, I'll admit that. But it definitely suits the reality being discussed in today's text. The text divides humanity into two kinds, those who have died with Christ and so have been raised with Christ, and those who have not. It divides humanity, therefore, into the living and the dead, spiritually speaking. So as you can see, I am ter- I'm interpreting the first, ver- the first clause of verse 6 to mean that the gospel is preached to the spiritually dead. Now you may have noticed that I am not interpreting the word dead in verse 6 the same way that I'm interpreting it in verse 5. In verse 5, I believe that the term dead is not in reference to spiritually dead people, but simply to dead people in the ordinary sense of the term. Now that could send up a red flag for you as a Bible interpreter. Am I giving two different meanings for the same word occurring so close together in this text? And isn't that a problem? Please recall that I believe the expression the living and the dead is just a way of saying everyone. But even if you focus in on that part of the expression, the dead, It is not necessarily bad interpretive practice to give the same word that occurs twice so close together two different connotations. Let's turn together to Colossians chapter 2. Please turn to Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 12.
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Note that Jesus is described as being raised from the dead, that the term dead has the conventional connotation. But look in the next verse, chapter th- uh, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. As you can see, the same noun here in this same text is given different meanings. One is the more conventional meaning for the word dead, and the other a spiritual meaning. And yet they are very close together in the same text. But while we're here in Colossians 2, let's consider for a moment what these two verses are actually saying. Let's look at them together again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Those who are in Christ by faith were once dead, but are now made alive together with Christ. By being united to Jesus Christ by faith, we who were once dead, have been joined in our inner man to his resurrection. So the point is, we are no longer dead. But we are waiting the resurrection of our bodies at his return. Make no mistake, we who are in Christ and so are made partakers of the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, and of eternal life, we are no longer dead. Note, too, the further similarities in this passage to our text today by reading on to verse 15 when you have a chance later today. But let's return to 1 Peter 3, verses 21 to 22. The same subject matter observe in 1 Peter 3, 21 to 22, which this text also relies upon. Remember Peter's road sign word of therefore, directing our attention to what he had just said. The same subject matter is present in both texts. Colossians 2, 2 uh, 12 to 15, and 1 Peter 3, 18 to 4, 6. That of the death of the pattern of this present evil age, by identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, combined with a connection to baptism, which symbolizes in a very significant way this union of believers with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. To help you see how this all comes together, I'm going to paraphrase verse 6, and in fact provide what I think is a working translation that better suits the context. Look at at verse 6, I'm going to paraphrase it. For this reason, the good news began to be preached to dead men, so that they might not be condemned in their humanity, that is, in the sphere of the flesh, that they might live in God, 
That is, in the sphere of the Spirit. If you're familiar with the book of the prophet Ezekiel, and specifically chapter 37, where the house of Israel is represented as, about, as, as being a, a bunch of dry bones in a valley, and that these bones are made alive by God, by God's Spirit. That's important imagery for what's going on in this text today. Our old man was judged in the flesh, along with the death of Christ. And so we, along with him, died forever to the flesh. That is, to this present evil age. Again, if we are united to Christ by faith. But the rest of humanity, brothers and sisters, the rest of humanity, those who inhabit this present evil age only, who live in the flesh, the way the apostles put it, and people who have no part in the age to come, they are in scripture described as, we were once described as dead. But these dead yet walk and speak and even use all of their power to make the living like they are. When you do not capitulate, the citizens of this present evil age will persecute you. And so it has always been. Now popular culture unwittingly taps into this antithesis, the hostility between the two ages of flesh and spirit, between the living and the dead, in its recent fascination with zombies. But understand the hidden, unconscious reality behind this modern folklore. Learn what the scriptures are saying. The living do dwell in the midst of the walking dead. And if you are not in Christ, if you have not died with him to this present evil age, by being buried with him in baptism, you are not raised again with him by being united with him in his resurrection by faith. You are dead while you live. Repent, therefore, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so be united to him, and so partake of the first resurrection. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, our glorious God and King, we praise you and thank you for taking those who had rebelled against you and whom you had in your justice exiled from your presence at the fall. We praise you and thank you, O Lord, that you have taken us and united us to your own dear and holy Son, that you have sown faith in our hearts, that you used to unite us to him, to put our faith in his resurrection. And so cause us to be living beings once again as we inhabit this world of the walking dead. We praise you and thank you, O Lord, for making us alive together with Christ. Help us, O Lord, to walk in newness of life with hearts filled with gratitude for you who have done this great thing. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.